Hey everybody, welcome to a brand episode of what is now called the Project Podcast. Took a bit of time off for a while, went for a bit of a rebuild, but back, hoping to provide fresh new content uh, two to three times a week, hopefully anyway. Um, Today, me and Sean will be talking about everything NBA, uh, breaking down the finals, KD, Braun, what the next steps are for both teams, free agency itself, and of course the upcoming NBA draft, which is on Thursday. We recorded this on Sunday, had a lot of fun doing it, a lot of funny jokes, a few dad jokes, but it's a, it's a great podcast. It's an hour and a half, it's a long one, so if you make it to the end, thanks very much for listening. Just a quick housekeeping note, you can find us on iTunes podcast app and on SoundCloud under the Project Podcast. Uh, I used to be the Cross Atlantic Project, but just changed it a bit as you can see from the artwork. Um, if you could drop us a follow on both, leave a comment and rate, that'd be great because you know I appreciate it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hey everybody, welcome to a brand new episode of the Project Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Christian, and of course I'm joined by my man, Sean. Sean, how you doing today? Yo, what's happening, dog? How you, man? I'm all good, man. I'm all good. I am hot as fuck, but um, gotta got stay hydrated, right? Yeah, man. Can't be can't be too parched out here, man. <laughs> Gotta be sipping on the finest of beverages. Um, <laughs> and come, we're, we're back with maybe uh, alcoholic, may not be alcoholic. Uh, might be a little bit of both, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it's good henny weather though, we'll say that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> if I do if I do say so myself. <laughs> oh man. Sorry, I'm sorry guys, that was really bad. No more it won't be any more dad jokes like that, I promise. I mean, on Father's Day, I think it's a lead to I couldn't help myself. <laughs> of course we're here to bring you a brand new NBA podcast. Um so let's, let's dive straight into it. Finals finished last week. Um opened a lot of doors into this offseason for what potential teams, not even in this finals, are going to do. But let's start with this series itself. Um, game four aside, it's pretty, it's pretty one-sided, in my opinion. Um, you think so? I don't. I mean, like as a as a, like a certain like a series recap. I, I honestly like I do disagree on that because I really don't think it was as um, one-sided as as people people talked about um, in the in the reactions after the finals. Um, if I had to say, um, what was it? It's a five-game series, um, and and it was four games. So I'd say, like honestly, um, I think out of the whole series, um, there might have been just like two or three quarters that were just completely out of hand. Um, but for the most part, I do really think that these two teams were like pretty even. I do think one of the problems that people had is just the uh, the inevitableness, and I know I just made up a word there, <laughs> but fuck it, but fuck it. Uh, but yeah, just the just the inevitableness, and I, I, I just doubled up on it, but people just knew the whole time that the Warriors are always one run away. And there'd be times where I'm watching this game, and you might have felt like the Warriors, um, that the Warriors, um, they might have had like a 10-point lead, but it felt like they had a 20-point lead. But in reality, on the scoreboard, the Cavs themselves are always just a couple runs away from getting back into the game a lot of times. So I, I really do think that these two teams are a little more even in this series, even though, albeit it did end in five games, it was closer than a 4-1 gentleman sweep uh, would leave you to believe it was. 
Yeah, I'll, you know what? I'll, I'll agree with that. I was kind of thinking it from the perspective where some of the games are close, bar game, obviously bar game four. But that's yeah, that's why. That's why I said it was like a, it's also like a bit of like confirmation bias because I do think everybody just like looking at the, like in assessing the series mm-hmm. um, and just going to the series like people. That's, the series played out just about how everybody <laughs> that was being rational thought it would. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I do think people were just waiting for him to drop the hammer at all times. And I, but I really do think this series was closer, um, which does lead me to the next part. Because, I mean, to me, the biggest, um, my biggest problem with everything that I think was, I mean, Katie put himself into the series. And, of course, you can think whatever you do. Like, I do think people take it to a little too far and they get really emotional and fired up. <laughs> of course, I know that comes with fandom and everything. But I really do think that it shows you that these two teams were pretty even before you brought Kevin Durant into the fold. So I don't really think people can say that because people like to it's people they they ring the the Warrior Blue a three one lead or uh, they needed Kevin Durant to beat the Cavs. But I really do think that it plays into a fact a, a pretty big point that these two teams were pretty even. So. I, and I do think we're watching two of the greatest teams ever. Oh, point that. blank, point blank, period. And I don't really think people are appreciating that because we, I think even even if um, that's why I think the level of basketball that we watch from the court, I don't really think like it, you. We'd be hard pressed to ever find like, like I think I think we can just on the level of talent that was on the court when it comes to basketball skill, basketball IQ, and just the level of like ridiculous shit that we seen we saw happen in this five game series. I think you'd be pretty hard pressed to find another finals that that really did have this type of talent on a court at one time. Like so, it's like I do think people sometimes people are just like glossing over that fact. Like mm-hmm. we did just see. I I really do think we just saw like an all time final. Maybe not in 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 like the end result, but just the basketball that we did see. I really think it was elite level basketball that we were watching on both ends of the floor. Without a shadow of a doubt, I mean these are two of the best fluid offensive teams we've seen. Two yeah. contrasting different styles, but like you said, you've got four of the top five best players in the world on this court. Yeah, so, um, I did. <laughs> <Maybe> not four. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'd put, I'd put KD definitely, Bron definitely, Steph, yeah, definitely, definitely, Kyrie. Oh. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I would say, I, in my personal opinion, um, biased or unbiased as it may be, um, <laughs> but I, I, I think Kyrie's like a top 15 to top 20 player in the league. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I don't, and I don't really think, I think, like, I think the, the league is really fucking talented right now. So, like, I don't really think that's disrespect. People might be, like, scoffing at that right now. Um, but not, but not even, 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 if, even if I do think he's a top 15 to top 20 player, in terms of just like the skill that Kyrie does bring, he's a one on one. He's a one of one when it comes to just the shit that he can do on the floor that nobody else can can in the league that can fucking do it as well as him when it comes to making bad shots. Yeah. So so, so it's like I mean I understand I'm not I'm not completely scoffing at it, but yeah yeah yeah. The point taken. Point taken. <laughs> I was gonna say I wouldn't be mad if you went, uh, you know, three of the people there, and then you say Kawhi and yeah uh, yeah Dame. I don't know. 
<laughs> yeah, like, I mean, of course, we got to like, bring guys like Anthony Davis and, like, Harden into the shit. But, but yeah, like, True. definitely, definitely um, some of the best players in the league. Yeah, and back to the Kyrie point with, with the bad shots. You always feel like when he just chucks one up, even though it's could be like the worst elevator shot in the world, it's got a massive percentage of going in. And the way he gets to the basket with such ease, yeah, re- reckless ease, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, man. Like my whole thing, my whole thing, and it's like I, I don't, I'm a, like I, I root for for Duke basketball, and Kyrie's a Duke, so it's like people, people that like. That like uh, alienate me against Kyrie. It's like, yo, I I got love for Kyrie. Kyrie's an amazing player. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think his stands get a little carried away, um, which is what leads me to like uh, spread some of the truth out there on him. But <laughs> but just in terms of like appreciating what he does on the court and and just bringing it back to last year. Last year, my whole thing, and this is why last year, all like the the three one jokes. Of course, you know, jokes always more important than facts. Nobody got. If the truth, if 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 the fucking jokes is funnier than the truth, of course. Like I get it. Like I, I understand how Twitter works and all the shit. I get it. But just in terms of like last year, what I think, what I think people like didn't really like taking apart that. Well, like I, like I did say earlier, those teams were pretty fucking evenly matched. So it's like I don't think either way, especially with what went down with the Draymond suspension, um, Curry injury, Iguodala injury, Bogan injuries. Not to, and I'm not making the shoes. I'm just bringing up the fact that niggas weren't healthy, and you have to be healthy when you really need to in the finals, and in the playoffs in general to win a championship. That's every team ever need need to be healthy at the right time. But the Warriors in the finals last year, especially those games where Kyrie went off towards, um, basically in games five through seven. If you go back and watch those games, they were defending him pretty fucking as reasonably well as you could have, uh, like as you could possibly wanted to defend him. But Kyrie's just a ridiculous bad shot maker. So it's like a lot of times, and it's like even watching these games, and even even in game four, watching him work for some of these shots here making is ridiculous. The type of the amount of work he has to go through to get to his to get to his spots and just to get these shots off. It's really fucking amazing. And I I marvel at that shit. Sometimes it's like there's no way these shots should be going in. And he's just fucking really good at that. And even I don't even I don't have the exact set on top of my head, but just like what he did, uh, and I think it was game four. Game four, I think he went. Matter of fact, no, nah, this is game three. It was the, this was the KD shot, the KD shot where KD hit the where KD hit that three in Bron's mouth at the at the end of the game. But I, and on, off the top of the head, without the box score being in front of me, I do believe Kyrie was zero for seven in in game three, and that was a pretty uh, it was a pretty close game that could have went. I mean, that Cleveland probably should have won. And um, yeah, that, that that's another thing because like we could have if a couple bounces go Cleveland's way, um, a couple other like Corver hits a three here, uh, Tristan's better on the boards, or they get like a um, some type of production from their bench. We could have easily went back to Oakland two two. So it's like that's what. And so it's like after four games, we could have really saw a two two series. And if it was two two, I really don't think we could anybody could have complained about it being one sided. It just so happened that. That nappy-headed motherfucker who plays for the Warriors is a fucking trained assassin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and, ne- and, I never yeah, get. I just didn't have much of an answer for him. Yeah, I never get why you chose the name the Servant over Slim Reaper. That's one of the things I never get. <laughs> I mean, that's another thing about the KD decision. KD's always been like a weird type of dude. So it's like I do think that's one of the things I do hate, like about casual fans when they do want to pigeonhole. Um, 
players into the same mold and the same mentality. They do. So it's like people love Kobe. And I'll never try to take away people's love for Kobe as regardless of how I feel about Mamba myself. So it's like I understand that. But not everybody's going to fucking be a deranged lunatic like Kobe or MJ. And that's not a bad thing. (laughs) That's not a bad thing. Some players just don't have that type of mentality or that, that makeup. And I don't know. I'm sure there's some type of sports psychology shit that shows like some type of like where something went wrong in your like your upbringing that leads you to have that type of shit. I don't know. But yeah, I'm sure there's some type of correlation there. But yeah, not everybody's going to have that same type of mentality. So it's like that's why when I look at KD, I don't really think like KD's always showed this type of and I, I said this a lot early when it comes to like some of the Westbrook KD dynamic where KD was was a lot he was he was okay with Russ taking some of those ill-advised shots yeah because maybe because he was more of like the beta personality that dudes wanted him to be but that's why that's why a lot of times fucking I would I wouldn't really kill Russ for those shots because KD KD wasn't really killing him for and KD was okay with a lot of those shots it was like I think just like analyzing KD the player he was these past eight seasons before he did make the decision to go to OKC I think a lot of this shit was we could really see it coming if we just looked at the type of things that KD always was a go against the grain type of guy. Whether it's he didn't want to get tattoos on like his like um like his arms or anywhere visible because he wanted to be a role model. True. Um, he doesn't. Like, of course, he doesn't like brushing his hair, so he's a he, he, likes, <laughs> he likes he likes going against that shit. Um, and, and, and I yeah yeah <laughs> going against the grain. Going against the grain. <laughs> 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 but but yeah man it's like he he's always shown that type of like just like being a weird type of dude and it's not i think katie's a cool nigga like just i I think we're all weird so it's like i don't necessarily think it's a bad thing but i do think he's like a like a weirder type of dude like especially like his like just, just like his upbringing and, and just the type of dude he is so it's like that's why it never like shocked me <laughs> when he made his decision. That's true. I mean, we've, like, we've, all, we've all got our little weird quirks. I mean, KD's, um, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. they may be, Bronze is sitting in his driveway drinking wine and going, mm-hmm, you know, Jordan's is get, <laughs> getting his, and Jordan's is getting his dad killed over uh, unpaid gambling debts. So, I mean, we all have our little things. You know what I mean? So it's like, another thing, like, like me personally, like, like one of, one of my, one of my, one of my closest homies makes art and yeah. I support, I support anything he does. Shout out to my son Greg and all that shit. But yeah, like that's my homie. But it's like I'm not really like into the art world, and it's like I know people love that shit. But it's like I don't try and fake like the super artistic shit. That's not me. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like I can see like somewhere like Kobe. I mean like K, like KD. Maybe like that's why I look like a decision he made. Maybe he really did just want to go to a city that had more culture and like like a more diverse like um, population, and he wanted to go like fucking. Like thrifting and fucking like go go to art museums and shit like that. So it's like, if that's what makes him tick, it's like I can understand why he makes the type of decision. Like, I don't really think like Katie doesn't look like the type where he's think. And and I think for some people they have to understand this that it's like in in like even this shit goes for LeBron too. Like some people and like fans, it's amazing to see fans when they really can't compartmentalize. This type of shit, but it's mm-hmm. like when when these dudes step off the court, it's like sometimes not everything they're thinking about is basketball, or or maybe and and yeah, maybe the decision that that KD made wasn't one hundred percent basketball related. Like we're we're sitting here killing him for basketball shit, 
and possibly the basketball decision might have had, but there, I always think there's possible there's another side of the coin that people aren't really like thinking about when it comes to this. Even if it was basketball related, you have to look at the thing. You look at the Warriors rosters, roster now, and then look at it. Look at what the funders was post free agency pre no, pre free agency post draft. After they got rid of Ibaka, you've got a rookie in. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's like even so I like, mean, do you want to do you want to stay with? Them? I do you want to help? I mean, and another thing where it's like people, um, the Draymond quote about um, when that came out uh, about him um, coming out uh, after the finals, after Game Seven, and <laughs> and going straight to the car and, and telling KD we need him. Like I, I, I saw that, and that was funny to me because um, I guess I was in on the little secret. This is why this is one of my favorite tweets when I when I tweeted this during the playoffs last year, <laughs> and I was like, I was like, hey man, hey man, KD just has to keep his head up and think about how easy life is going to be next season when he's shooting nothing but open threes for Golden State. Like I guess I was in on the secret that like they've been trying to court KD for years now. And 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 like Steph and and Draymond and and Clay and shit that they've been like that this was in the works before. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's another thing. And and I guess the last thing about the KD decision that I don't really think people taking taking to part. Um, and and of course, like I think all these decisions are like every. I feel like it was definitely like a something where it was a bunch of. It might not have been one thing that made KD want to leave Golden. I mean OKC in particular, but just like a. Um, accumulation of a bunch of shit that that he didn't appreciate so it's like like when when they traded for uh when they traded for oladipo i said yeah i can understand this trade in a vacuum going forward about um why somebody would think why you would think oladipo is a better asset going forward um for in a team building exercise but if kevin durant is looking at this team and says he wants to win a championship doing making that trade did not help kd want to stay in okc um just like the same shit where uh, the Harden trade, I'm sure when KD analyzed that shit, that shit could have not helped him. Um, st- uh, <laughs> that could have not helped him actually want to stay in OKC. So it's like a lot, a lot of this shit, and it's like, also, what if KD decided before last season, before the, before um, last season started completely, that he was just like, "Yo, I'm leaving. I'm not. Regardless of if we go to the finals, I'm out." Exactly. Like, I think, there's yeah, there's, like, there's nothing really different about that decision as to what Paul George is doing there. You have your sights set on something and you go for it at the end goal. It's made yeah, so yeah, many man. years in advance. I don't I don't I, I, I don't get it, man, in terms of like the, the bitching and, and moaning about the super teams. For a couple of reasons. First of all, <laughs> shout out shout out to um shout out to Lakers Twitter. Um shout out to Celtics Twitter. Um fuck it. Shout out to the Knicks Twitter too. Any any big market team that ever has like a um that has any type of clout that teams would ever or like players would ever like be interested in signing with them, this shit about fucking trying to get like that's why you whenever you see these fucking these graphics where it'll be a graphic of like fucking Kobe next to Melo and Dwight would be there and LeBron, just the most craziest fucking super team ever. Like dudes fucking dream about this shit in general. Like fans love the fucking super team. The only time fans would hate a super team is when it's not their team. Exactly. So it's like that's why that's why it's like you would be down for a super team if if you if you had a, some type of relationship with KD and fucking Steph Curry and you could broker some type of deal where you come where they would come play for fucking your team. You wouldn't be complaining about that shit. So it's like 
right there, complaining about Super Team saying it's bad for the league is pretty detrimental for itself. Um, secondly, secondly, the, the funnier the funnier part is that the league literally did everything in their right to stop this shit from happening, and and I do think the other the other element is, of course, like if you have cap space and there's a max uh, free agent on the market, teams usually do try to court these guys. So so just the way that it worked out for Golden State was that the year that they had, and and keep in mind. This uh, last summer would have been the last possible um, year that the Warriors could have offered that contract to KD. Mm-hmm. If KD if KD opted in for one more year, which a lot of people thought, I thought that's what he was going to do. Um, I thought he was going to opt in and then become a free agent this summer because um, this would have been the year that uh, he'd be eligible for the um, the the ten year max, uh, which is basically like the um, the two hundred mil contract. Oh yeah, the thirty five million. That's what yeah the thirty five mil um, year. Um, that's what I thought he was gonna do. So a lot, a lot had to happen for that shit. So, so if the Warriors had this cat space last year, or or let's say two years ago, they fucking um, after they won the championship the first year, and then they went and signed Lamarcus Aldridge. Is the outrage really that bad? Nope. Is it? Is it really that bad? So it's like I, I do think, and it's like this is why it's just annoying to me because I do think people are just gonna find a way to bitch about anything. Regardless, and people try and play both sides about. Oh, if he went to another team, we just we just we just didn't want him to play for. We didn't want to see him play for Golden State. I'm like, yo, there's a good segment of the population who would have just bitched anyway. Like, <laughs> I really think like there there are people who just want to like fucking complain about shit, and I just I personally just, like find that shit really annoying. I I don't I don't know what I just don't understand the outrage really, especially because the Warriors. I mean, they've done the whole process properly. They've drafted well. They've used you know. All their picks to the best possible degree. I mean, they got Steph at one, eight after seven, seven. Sorry, yeah. after Minnesota, yeah. Minnesota casting him twice. You know, you got Clay. <laughs> Clay was like shout what? out to David Kahn. <laughs> Clay was a mid what mid round first. Clay was eleven. Clay was eleven. Draymond was forty second. Something like that. Draymond, I think Draymond was thirty five. I believe. And yeah, I think. You know, they cleared the, they cleared the cap space they signed Iggy. You know, they wave, yeah, man. So wave David Lee at the right time. That's a yeah, man. That's a that's a it's a big part of it, and it's like, <laughs> and it's like I mean, you want to like first of all, like shout out to fucking Go to State, shout out to Bob Myers, shout out to the whole front office over there, um, because they they really did play this shit perfectly. Like you can't like this is this is for every small market team. Mm-hmm. This is for everything. So it's like I can't like fucking Go to State. Did what fucking um, OKC had on the table and fucked up. Yeah, because they were too cheap. They were too cheap. They didn't make the right, like, between the hashes signing. Like, they didn't, like, OKC didn't go out and fucking um, sign somebody like Iguodala to go play with these guys. Yes. Who those guys drastically needed. Um, so it's like, it's a lot of shit. So it's like, yo, a lot of teams are fucking terribly well, um, terribly ran. So it's not like a lot of this shit doesn't come down. It's not really like it's not really a, a issue of like super teams and shit. A lot of this shit is bad management, man. So it's like y'all at you just to play devil's advocate. And I know you do. You you you're more you're more in line with my sensibilities about this shit and about the, this whole super team thing. But just to play devil's advocate for for like the whole crowd that's against super teams and all that shit. 
what's the what's the alternative if if we're not if these players aren't going to take like the power into their own hands? What's the what's the alternative? There isn't really an alternative, is there? Because when you give someone, it's it's weird how the the team doesn't have any choice, really, does it? If you've been informed that someone's not going to resign, you're going to trade them for whatever the market value is. So if you're going to get yeah. 50 cents on the dollar, that's what you're yeah. going to get at the time. And then that team has no guarantee that that player is going to resign because they've have they've got a destination in their mind already. So unless the league does something yeah. to say, um, yeah, yeah. So 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 just to just to keep going down that down that road, it's like yeah, like I I think it's great that. You should want to stay with your team for your whole career and and build something organically, but Maybe. And, and this is why I hate yeah how how we judge players and 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 the older I get and the more I see the shit I really don't like as much as I do think this is a result oriented business and it is X and O's a lot of times I do think there's situations where and like in, in with every guy's career like dudes have. X amount of years in their prime, they have X amount of years where they could possibly be the best player on a championship team. Like these are not windows that are open forever. Mm-hmm. So it's like as much as people love that shit, like I, I could never be mad at a player for trying to take shit into their own hands and and wanting to uh, give themselves the best opportunity to go play for you. So it's like fucking, um, it's great. Yeah, the Warriors, the Warriors, fucking Steph Curry and 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 Clay and Draymond, they could trust the Warriors because they actually built something that made sense. But but let's look at fucking um like even LeBron. LeBron stayed in Cleveland for those first eight eight years, and even just from the players' perspective, they didn't know um, to even help compared it. to like the European soccer system. Once again, I know we talked about this last time, but it's really like the better the better equivalent because like that's why I I can understand loyalty being more of a thing in soccer mm-hmm. because when you come up, you get to pick who you want to play for. Like when you're when you're fucking sixteen, like if you want to go play for the team, and you're just not like motivated by the money. And if if you have like a heritage and and you're like um, partial to another team, you want to play for them. Okay, I can understand that, and I can understand you having that that loyalty throughout your career. But in the NBA, in the NBA, just in terms of the player rights that they have, you sign, you get, you you, you go into the draft, and you don't have any power over where you get drafted. So like literally, the after like picking who you want to work out for. That's about the last time you have control over your NBA career because yeah. they're going to get you for those first four years, and then no player ever declined the um, the uh, the the fucking extension after after your uh, your fourth season. Nobody declines that shit. So basically, these teams have you for a maximum of eight years before you can reach free agency and before you have control over your career. So I can I don't know how you can be mad at a player for deciding where he wants to leave in free agency period. That's where, that, that, that's, that's where I feel like the NFL gets it. Just, gets the it way right. this shit's set up is like all the power is in the fucking ownership's mm-hmm. perspective. And for KD, for Paul George, for any of these shits, you had these players for eight years. And those eight years are basically your chance to sway them to stay in your organization. Like, and if you flip if, it. I really don't think Kevin Durant left OKC because he was just like, he, wanted, he, he was like begging to leave OKC. No, I really just think they just didn't play their cards correctly. Mm-hmm. And that literally comes back to them. So it's like, I, I, me personally, I always come back to blaming the front office and the ownership way before I blame or get mad at a player for a decision they made. No, I completely agree. I mean, he was, he was there for like, what, 10 years? 
That's a long time to be in one place, and let's, let's, let's be honest, they underachieved, because that squad could have at least won. Oh, shit, won my bad. Yo, I, think I, I, think, I think I muted myself. Oh, that's cool. I heard everything. Don't worry. My guy, yeah, my bad. So you can just run that back. <laughs> no, I think it's a bit of a crazy one, because um, when you look at the window that he was there in OKC, they could have at least won one championship with the talent they had in the roster and what they could have done moves-wise. Especially what they gave up. Yeah, yeah. So it's like definitely like it was Kevin Durant not good enough to win a championship, or did he not have the right um, accessories and players around him that he needed to? And I think for a lot of players, like like that's just the that's just the um, like even I'm a fucking Melo fan, so it's like I'll, I'll ride for Melo till the fucking wheels fall off. Mm-hmm. So it's like I've always been in the belief that you can win a championship with Carmelo Anthony. As your best player. And you can bitch about how Melo plays or how he never changed. But I also do think a lot of it is part that. And you and I know the Melo thing is very um, nuanced and to bring up that example. And you can say he chose to play there and shit. But it's like also I do think that a lot of, a lot of this shit was not in his hands that he could not control. Just but in terms of like what he, what, what he could have done. There's two things for the Melo thing to me. is A, you saw what he could do. And how he could lead with somewhat of a semi-decent, mediocre roster in kind yeah. of like 2011-2012. And the second part is, if he settled in New York, he's not really going to turn down a max contract. Um, so my thing is, basically just to run it back, you look at Durant's situation last summer, and you kind of look at the situation that Gordon Hayward is in this summer. Completely different skill levels of players, but the scenario is kind of the same. No one's going to give a shit, though, if he bails on Utah and signs a max-level deal in Boston or Miami. Yeah, yeah. That, that's just my thing. Like, I don't have any problem with, like, criticizing dudes. My whole thing is whenever I see, like, inconsistency on the shit we're judging people by, mm-hmm. so it's like a lot – so it's like – and this is, this is my problem, and, like, this is what I think over – basically bred the entire super team culture we have today so like i basically see this shit and and especially like when i was younger and i was very big i was i feel like i was early on the on the lebron being better than kobe thing so it's like the kobe the kobe lebron arguments used to be crazy and it was like there was yeah there was a time where kobe lebron was the only argument or the only debate that ever mattered in the league so it's like there was so yeah during that time during that time a lot of the time, whenever people would tell me, I'd always say LeBron's a better player, and it would automatically just come back to five rings, man, five rings. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay, that's cool and everything, but it's more the rings when we're talking about like analyzing a player in itself. And and a lot of the the overall sentiment that was spread across timelines and barbershops and just everywhere where people would shoot the shit was just like, yo, all that matters is winning. This was what we were telling people. Mm-hmm. So it's like, that was a huge thing. People aren't saying that anymore. And and now that, especially with the KD decision, people people are going towards the, a lot of people saying, oh, um, his ring isn't going to mean as much to me now. So it's like, which one is it? Is it all that matters is winning? Or now do you have to win a certain way where you have to drag other people and we have organic or traditional or real championships. So it's like, which one is it, man? Is it is it Ushi Is it on Mike, bro? Like, which one is it, my nigga? So it's like that's what I'm saying. I just like I just want we just gotta keep it consistent in terms of like how we're judging these guys. Like, I'm not 
I don't jump off the boat and like kill dudes in mm-hmm. general. Which is why when I see dudes that I'm like, yo, man, I don't think greatness is as much as of a like a one time perspective. I think great we we know greatness over time. Over like a fucking long period of, of, of time. So it's like I don't really think like that's what I don't think like one series or like one series fucking validates somebody's legacy the same way one series doesn't like negate somebody's legacy. Like, exactly. Sometimes we deal in extremes too much and that's kind of what led us to this shit. No, I completely agree. It is the whole Twitter culture that kind of feeds into this. Especially with the rings thing. I mean, you could be a great player your whole career, but you know, you don't win one. Apparently on the internet it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. It's uh, that bit is kind of insane. Yeah. But I get with this series though, do either teams make massive changes going into this offseason? Because I'm just reading now that apparently the Pacers and the Cavs had early talks about yeah. Paul George. Um, I mean, I I personally, um, in terms of just like how how Kevin Love played in this series, um, I his shot didn't really fall and he didn't really get hot. Um, at any point during the series, but like at least defensively, um, and which is funny because I think Kevin Love was way better defensively this series than he was last year. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Um, and 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 that's not even to say like he's a great defender. I literally just think he played as reasonably well as he possibly could defensively, um, in this series. Um. <laughs> So yeah, like that's that's the that's that's what's hilarious to me because like I really do think he maximized what he could have done defensively, but um it just it was all for naught a lot of the times. Um as far as like making changes, um the Cavs are capped out like a motherfucker. So um it's obviously not gonna come through free agency. Um a trade um depends on uh I'd say it really does depend on what the fuck um the Pacers want because um if they and it depends on how how they're they're judging these things because if the Pacers are looking at it going forward saying um we're not going to be good for the next couple years um so we probably better off instead of like straddling between like that 40 and and like 45 um games one purgatory which is where they would be if they had Kevin uh Kevin Love mm-hmm. Where they just want to like go f- full out on the type of uh, on the on the tank, basically, um, they might just say we don't want Kevin Love. So, so possibly I can look at it in terms of especially like when you bring in um, the other teams. Like I don't necessarily know who can make the crazy uh, Paul George offer that's going to blow them away. Um, I don't necessarily think, or I don't. I mean, I don't think they should, but I don't really think. Um, the Lakers would make uh, fucking D'Angelo or, or uh, Ingram available in a Paul George trade. Um, so, so definitely, I think that's a big part of it. So, and but the thing here is, especially since we everybody knows that <laughs> Paul George is going to leave, we might just get a situation where a buggy trade goes down mm-hmm. and something, something like. Fucking like I think like people people scoffed at Buddy Hield and basically the ten pick is what it came down to. But honestly, compared to everything else, it's really not that bad of a fucking package. They could have done worse. 
Yeah, so, mean, so but, but he played fairly well after that trade. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. So it's not, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it's not like they might just look at it in terms of let's just grab whatever the fuck we get, and if we have to trade Kevin Love later and get something else for him, or well, I signed for uh, two more years, I think he's on the books for. Um, so yeah, they could just do that, but it just depends on um, what Indiana is looking to do. You seem to be in a situation where they probably want to trade for more picks and whatever they could do to bottom out from that situation. Because I'm assuming they've got all their picks going forward. Uh, who, the uh, Pacers? Mm. So I don't remember uh, them. Unless anything from the George Hill trade. Yeah, no, I mean, like, like I did say, it does, um, looking at it, uh, hold on, yeah, so... I mean, yeah, but it's just like that's why that's why I do think. Um, now, nah, yeah, I don't. They basically do have their all of their picks going forward. They owe a second round pick to uh, the Nets uh, next year, but that's about it. Um, but yeah, man, like so, it really does. Like if they just uh, look at the field and say we're not going to get anything back from them, um, things could get pretty interesting. Um, there's probably a couple teams that might throw themselves into uh, the Paul George sweepstakes for a possible rental. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, if you're Portland. Or Memphis, looking at that, just get some, especially if they're gonna get some shit off their books. Swap channel. If, Port- if Portland, if Portland can, yeah, but I, I really don't. Unless they're just gonna offer them like four first round picks, because I wouldn't, I wouldn't. I mean, I guess possibly if you want to trade CJ or um, Dame, possibly. But I do think in terms of like the maximum upside that that team would have. It would be putting those two guys with somebody like a Paul George, mm-hmm. and then seeing what, what happens after that. So it's like, um, I um, Paul George as a player, I do like Paul George, and I'm I I'm not gonna sit here and act like Paul George is terrible because he's obviously not. But in terms of, it's crazy because I do think Paul George is really fucking good and massively overrated at the same time. So if I do think you're, you're asking him to carry a team um, on his shoulders. I do think you're relatively capped out on how far that can happen. Um, I do think once you get somebody on his level or people who can um, possibly flank him or, or make him the second best player, I do think that is he, he's better as like a type of secondary superstar um, where he can where that would just like maximize his strengths more in terms of like instead of just like building everything around him per se. No, that's that's true. One of the things I've never understood is especially when this trade room is going around Paul George and Jimmy Butler. Why no one's explored the possibility of both bringing them both onto the same team? What was that? I can't see there's loads of trade rumors about Jimmy Butler as well and Paul George. I'm not too sure why no one's explored the possibility of bringing them both on the same team. Um, I mean, I mean, what I, I think the only team that would have the assets to do that would be Boston, mm. um, which I guess we could get to the fault shit now. Um, <laughs> but that's the but, that's the end goal, though, isn't it, for Boston? I mean, when you think, especially with their fans, they're going about these assets and what we're going to do with these assets. Now is the time to do it, though. Surely. <laughs> I mean, I think it's pretty easy to say. So it's like I think on one, I think on one hand, like Boston has never been a free agent destination. True. In the history of like, in 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 their history, basically. Like I know they fucking signed Al Horford, but we're I'm t- we're talking about stars here, man. Um, so so it's like they haven't they haven't they haven't got and, and that's no shade to Paul. 
I mean, <laughs> niggas call niggas call uh, Al Horford the Dominican Carlos Boozer. I cried for like ten nights over. Oh my, that's jokes. Uh, <laughs> but now, yeah. So they Boston doesn't really get like free agents like that in terms of things. So I think like I think they're just fooling themselves thinking that a guy like Paul George or a guy like Jimmy Butler would want to sign with them long term. So so like I can understand. I mean, Hayward, there's the I don't know. I don't I think it might be smoke and mirrors about Hayward running the sign there too. Hayward, for all we know, he doesn't want to play for them either. Like and and people talk about this shit about fucking oh go play for his college coach. We don't really know what fucking makes him tick or what he wants to really do. So he might not want to play for Boston either, possibly. So it's like, I, I, I do think, um, obviously, they just did the trade uh, for Fultz and everything. So, like, on, on one hand, I, I do understand it. Um, but I, I just really don't understand what type of options they have. Because um, I do think they'd be the only team that could do both. Mm-hmm. And I do think getting both probably still wouldn't be fucking enough. You'd probably be... <laughs> Like you probably would be still like the third best foot, third best team in the league with those two guys. Well, exactly. I think I saw a tweet earlier saying that they were trying to use all these assets to trade for Anthony Davis, but which is bullshit. With his cap, Anthony Davis. Yeah, the cap number alone he, doesn't make any sense. It's not even that he signed up for another five years, so it's like not to say that he might not, not to say that he might not uh, be on the market eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, especially uh, once shit starts hitting the fan, um, doesn't look like. I mean, hopefully, for for his and Boogie's sake, New Orleans can like do some shit and put some shit around him. Um, but it doesn't look like they're going in the right uh, direction. I mean, they so, tried- so he might he might get on the he might get on the market eventually. But I I think he's probably one of the most untradeable players in the league right now. So it's like it's not like oh, that's that. pretty realistic. I think, but the thing from my perspective is, there's only Solomon Hills that you could put up with if you're Anthony Davis with your team signing. That you're going to be like, no, I can't can't do this anymore. But now the fault. fault, What what did you think of the fault? Fault soon. Um, I mean, I think it really does come down to how do you feel about fault as a player. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely, obviously, um. But yeah, yo, I mean, honestly, if you think that he's like head and shoulders, if you think he's in a tier by himself, it's a bad trade. Um, obviously, I think what Danny Ainge just said is that he doesn't think there's much of a difference, um, if that, between say Fultz and uh, Josh Jackson, um, a uh, and uh, um, Jason Tatum and, and those guys. Um, so if you're in that belief and you think it's closer, um. I could I, I could understand rationing, rationalizing the trade itself. Um, me personally, um, in terms of just like, I think he has the safest projection as a future All Star out of anybody in his draft, um, which to me um, leads him to um, having. I think he's in a tier by himself at one. Um, personally, um, for my draft rankings, mm-hmm. like I, so I haven't. I think I think he's by himself. Um, head and shoulders, um, the number one pick. Um, I just think in terms of like what you want from like a modern lead guard in the league, um, somebody who he, he his passing ability is definitely a little underrated at this point, especially compared to um, Lonzo, uh, who has like uh, 
<laughs> a next level passing ability, of course. Um, but yeah, I think he um, he's a really good passer. Um, the shot, um, I do think that's probably going to be um, uh, pretty chewed in the type of um, upside that he does have on the next level. Um, I think he shot around like thirty eight percent this year um, from three, I believe, um, off the top of my head. Uh, so if he's like flirting with forty percent from from three uh, as an NBA player. Then we're talking about like perennial all star, possibly superstar type range. Um, but yeah, I mean, even with even with I'm not I'm not like a hundred percent sure on the shot. He might end up around like a thirty five percent type shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and, and, and just in terms of like getting to the basket and and being able to finish through contact, I do think he has like all the modern attributes to be like um, a a great lead guard by himself, especially, and, and all these dudes have their own flaws. So that's not to say that like, I could, I could pick, I could pick flaws of anybody in this draft right now. Um, and, and basically anybody coming out. So like coming out with it, um, definitely, but it, it, it's just confusing because I can't, I can't come to a full opinion on it yet because there may be a move down the line that makes it look better. But it's just a little head scratching to me now because I'm not really sure. And I do think if they could, they could have just took Fultz and then traded him later if they want to do that. Because I do think if you, if he came out and I don't know, he he might not win Rookie of the Year playing on that, but he could show you all the stuff that you see from Rookie of the Year. He his value would have been just as high a year from now. True. Looking at kind of his overall package package of a game reminds me a lot of Brandon Roy pre injury. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, definitely. I see some Brandon Ryan's game. Yeah, I like D'Angelo as well, Russell, kind of. Yeah, they're, they they're, they are they they just have like body. It's crazy because they're pretty much in the same body in terms of just like um they're both they're both around like six five height wise um and they're both around like six nine and a half wingspan size um I'd say D'Angelo's a better shooter. Um, Van Foltz, um, passing ability. Honestly, I, I'd say um, a slight advantage possibly to D'Angelo, but they're both in that same class. Um, if there's a difference, I don't think it's uh, too crazy. Um, and and the other part is, but the only the, the deciding difference level between the two is really the athleticism that they have, and and basically the potential that Foltz shows um, of being able to finish around. Um, the basket. D'Angelo hasn't really shown that in his career to this point. Sure. Um, and it's really going to be probably um, if he can if if he can take that next level around the rim um, and get get uh, elite as a um, in terms of like a floater and in between game that would really like unlock his game in terms of like all star um, his all star ceiling. Um, but yeah, they really uh, but the athleticism is is a huge difference, which is why like I do think his upside or or just ultimate ceiling is is a little higher than D'Angelo's coming out, even though they are very uh, similar um, as actual players. No, I do completely agree with that. The one thing that strikes me about Fultz, like you just said, that his ability as a slasher to the rim is could be near elite level, just because he's got such athleticism, such skill where he can get there with such ease. Um, yeah, man, he just he he he, he finishes through people, mm. which is crazy aggressive. Yeah, not a lot of like, and it's like the his body is a big part of why he can do that. So it's definitely important. But yeah, man, that's a that's a uh, and especially like with guards, 
if you can't finish around the basket, that's really going to fuck up your, your just the type of um, player you can be. So like that's a super important skill, something that he's shown um, even on like the uh, like in high school and like in the, um, the under 18 and the under 21 games that uh, mm-hmm. these like the Team USA skill games and stuff. So, yeah, it's crazy. And, and this upside is out of this world on that. But, yeah, man, it's just a little it's a little head scratching the decision ultimately, in my opinion. Yeah, especially when you've got, from a Celtics point of view, when I look at it, you've got Isaiah coming off that hip injury where that kind of slows a lot of people down. I remember Johnny Flynn, not the best comparison I know, but he had a fairly decent season with Minnesota before he got that injury. And then post-injury, he was just completely void of athleticism and skill. If that same thing happens to Isaiah and you dump him, you don't have an ideal replacement Whereas where I thought Fultz would have been that guy you could probably put in Groom for that position. Because I don't see Marcus Smart as a starting point guard. Or who's the other guy that they have? Terry Rogier? Terry Rogier, yeah, no. Um I I I, I mean I yeah, Marcus Smart is a good player. He's just not a point guard. Yeah. Um like he, he is a starting level guard in this league, but He always reminds um, me of like a poverty Odell, because they got the same hair. I don't know yeah, why. <laughs> but yeah, he. Uh, but yeah, um, that, that's the thing, man. Like, Fultz's upside is is higher than any of those guys. So if you're making a decision to pass on him because of the guards on your roster, that's faulty thinking. Especially when the whole mantra and the whole philosophy that Boston fans and Ainge has been preaching is that we're waiting for that uh, franchise changing. Um, Maybe I don't. I wouldn't say Fultz is a generational talent, but he's definitely one of the better guards um, in the last five years to come out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's like I don't think if if you're passing on somebody with a higher upside because the dudes that you have on your roster with um, lower upsides, I really think that's faulty thinking, and that's something that could look crazy in a couple of years. Also, I wouldn't be too excited to fucking give Isaiah a two hundred million dollar contract next year, like. He's gonna be eligible for thirty-five million dollars a year. Yeah, he's five eight. That might end up looking like one of the worst contracts in NBA history. Isaiah Thomas is a in he like talking about elite finishing around the rim. You can't project what what I, what I what I see turn into around the basket for somebody his size is nothing that anybody could rationally project. Nope. But that's what he fucking turned into. Like he's an elite finisher around the rim. He's in that same class with Kyrie. And, and Steph, in terms of like finishing around the basket, like he's up there for a fact. So, so when it comes to that, so if he if he loses ten percent of that skill, because um, he just loses some of his quickness, that's going to come as he gets into his uh, later twenties and and thirties. That's definitely going to affect the type of player he is, and especially when you give him the max contract, that could look egregious in a couple of years. So yeah, man, like I said, um, it's a little head scratching, but. I'm all for the demise of Boston, so I'm not really <laughs> complaining. And I, I'm happy that I, I, I actually I was kind of like I was. It was bittersweet because I didn't really want to see Fultz because I, I I love Fultz as a prospect, so mm-hmm. I didn't really want to see him go to the Celtics anyway. So I'm glad that he doesn't have to go to uh, <laughs> to, to play for those bigots. This is very Fultz. true. Yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking as well about Isaiah going back to that point because he. Like you're saying, elite level finisher around the rim, and that's a massive part of his game. If you give him the max, that thirty-five, that thirty to thirty-five designated player exception, um, 
what we've seen with guys that are kind of six foot and under, not to make a Twitter joke or anything, but their bodies break down um, a lot more as they get older. So, I mean, look at, look at Chris Paul. He's not he, he's not the exact same player as he was. And you look at the other as Isaiah Thomas. As soon as his body started breaking down, he was like, fuck this, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, and it, it, all it takes is one injury, especially, like, at that size. Like, fucking God forbid, like, God forbid, like, he tears in Achilles or an ACL. Mm-hmm. And, and you could never be the same type of player again. That's the, I mean, yeah, that's the exact, that's the exact same thing. Um, but I guess like that for everyone, I mean, New Orleans have got the same kind of dilemma with Boogie, because actually no, they can't get it. They can't give him the designated player because yeah, that's you can't what, get the you can't get the designated. Yeah, because yeah, that was the thing. If you would have stayed with the Kings, he would have got two hundred plus, which is insane. I mean, hey man, so yeah, like um, it's funny because like I said. They put that, they put that uh, contract in there, or they in the CBA the, the owners put that uh, the designated player extension in there because they thought the effect it would have would be that it would make dudes want to stay with those teams. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing now, it is actually having the other effect. So shout out to the owners, the dumbass owners once again. Well, that's the thing. I mean, they bitch so much about having the, the poison pill, uh, yeah, in restricted free agent contracts. When you've kind of reintroduced that in that designated player thing, it just doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. If a player wants to stay, you have to build your organization to a level where it is sustainable, not to, in a way, bribe people with money. Yeah. To stay in your winning list organization, but no, enough of that. Going back to Mark Hill, though, it's you know the fit in Philly. Obviously, he's not going to be primary ball handler as they want Simmons to kind of run, run the point. So he's going to be playing the two guard. But my feeling was, because they, tra- they were trying quite hard uh, for the trade deadline, they wanted a kind of defensive two guard. Uh, so more of an Avery Bradley type player, uh, if not Tony Allen, to line up at the two to cover up the defensive frailties of Ben Simmons running the point. Does that change that at all anyway in terms of their free agent plans? Um, I mean, just looking obviously obviously the uh the huge um the huge I mean the elephant in his, in the room is we have to fucking see Embiid play more than fifty games in the season first before mm-hmm. we could like get out of here. Um on paper and especially from what we saw from him last season, um it's ridiculous because basically when Embiid was on the floor last season, he was the best rim protector in basketball. Oh, gotcha. Which is which is fucking ridiculous, considering that he hadn't played organized basketball in basically three years. So, so it's fucking yeah, it's fucking absurd. Um, do that shit. So, um, so yeah, with that, um, especially also, um, Robert Covington is probably one of the uh, more underrated two way wings in the league right now. Um, so yeah, in terms of that, um, in basketball in general, um. I feel like the idea of like whenever you're doing team construction, um, you do you wanna you wanna uh, get guys who can shoot, pass, dribble, move the ball along, all that shit. So obviously having Fultz play um, with a guy like Ben Simmons um, is definitely very important uh, because I don't Ben Simmons. I'm not gonna say he's. A, I think Ben Simmons is a he's an elite level prospect, but I think he's far from a sure thing. And he's far from uh, a, a good bet to just reach his ultimate 
upside. I I do think there's some uh, possibilities that like he may not um, reach his complete uh, destiny in terms of his career. So um, definitely having Fultz, um, who like I said, the shot if he if he is going to be able to bring that shot to the next level, um, that is definitely something that's going to be able to uh, especially and and him and Embiid who will be able to fl- uh, space the floor. So um, that will open up a lot offensively. Um, but yeah, the fact that him and uh, Fultz should be a very good off ball shooter. So, um, so yeah, that that working um, with Ben, um, it should definitely be a nice little lethal combination. And and even then, I don't think they should be making decisions based on fit yet. Um, like, cause like I said, we don't know about Embiid. Simmons hasn't played a game yet, so a lot of it should just be talent accumulation. Um, so yeah, I, I will see. We'll, we will see how it plays out. Um, but in terms, honestly, I I, I can easily say that the Sixers are going to walk away with the most talented player in the 2015, the 2016, and the 2017 draft, which is ridiculous in its own right. It is pretty insane when you do think about it in that way. And then you've got the uh, the elite bust that you're looking for on the bench. <laughs> and when you add Sarek into that mix, into that mix as well, starting lineup could be quite deadly. I still, I, uh, I still think they would probably end up going for a like a JJ Redick in free agency, just to cover off the veteran option, just so you got someone to help these guys grow. Yeah, man, you did. Hey, man, um, it, say what you want about Hinky, man, but he set them up very nicely for the future. Um, there's obviously shit that Hinky didn't do uh, properly that he could have done to save his own ass. Mm-hmm. But 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 yeah, man, he definitely in terms of just like asset accumulation once again. And just like sometimes, and and to a certain extent, that's what Danny Ainge is doing because like the draft to a certain extent is a fucking crapshoot, which is why it is always funny to me. Um, and this is hilarious. Like I could go back and pull up the tweets when the Knicks drafted Porzingis, and I I, I watched Porzingis tape before, and I've seen all of the 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 tantalizing upside and potential he had. But with these overseas overseas guys, you really just don't know until they play. Yeah. So. It is funny that the revisionist history about the KP pick, um, where people try and um, people will criticize the Sixers and the Lakers for the Okafor and the Russell picks, but it's like a lot of times you really just don't know with these guys. So, um, like I said, we we will see in terms of just how, how it does play out in terms of just the fit. No, I completely agree. Um, go back to the KP pick for a second. The most impressive thing for that with me is that. Most times when you draft a player from Europe, they usually stay for what one or two seasons more, just to kind of up their skill and kind of get their self, get their body more ready to an NBA, yeah. NBA yeah. level. I mean, you seen that? I, yeah, I didn't know if he was coming. I didn't know if he was coming over right away either. I thought it might have been a Rubio situation. It was a little. It was like it was cloudy. Mm-hmm. No, I thought, I thought the exact same thing. And for him to come over and make such a dominant impact so early on was the most impressive thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's looking actually looking for the draft now. In terms of your top five, who have you got in there, prospect wise? Uh, prospect wise, prospect wise, I right, cool. Yeah, so um, my personal big board um, that I do have, um, and this does this is my personal my um, not this is not like my mock draft or anything. This is my personal how I assess these players in terms of like future value, um, upside and and um, the safety of their relative relative floor. Um, I have faults number one. Like I did say, I think he's in a tier by himself. Um, tier wise, just just fucking like breaking it down. After that, I think basically two through eight 
are all in the same tier. So I do think that you could honestly, um, <laughs> you could any order two through eight, I could understand how you could get there. Um, me personally, um, after more deliberation and um, just assessing uh, what I do think these guys can do, I personally have Dennis Smith second on my board. Um, I do think um, another just in that just in that uh, the mold of what you want from a, a modern guard. And and just a, another another just another way to look at it personally, just to look at the drafts since basically twenty since Kyrie basically Kyrie was the what 2010? 20, 20, yeah twenty ten draft I think twenty eleven twenty eleven yeah twenty eleven yeah one of those years um so yeah basically since then what I mean it's actually funny because like actually when it comes to like young point guards under twenty five it's it's pretty bare. Right now, and I think this draft will do will go a long way towards um, helping the point guard position, which is crazy. Um, I, the, all the all the talent for the point guard is in the elite levels. I, I think, yeah. it, it, in terms of the depth, it, it falls off um, pretty well. So, um, just in terms of like what you want from a um, a, a lead guard, um, I do think Dennis is a pretty good playmaker. Um, obviously, once again, not on uh, the actual um, level of of somebody like Alonzo. Um, but I do think he is a good enough um, ball handler and passer. Um, I, think he has thing, some... I think the thing you've got to look at with Dennis as well is that he wasn't in the greatest situation at NC State um, for a start. So in terms of that body of work, you kind of can't hold it against him. In, in the same uh, boat as faults, really. You know? it, it is the same thing. And... I, and it's crazy because like it is, it's the same thing that happened at, at, at and I think in general like I think in, and we'll get to this in a little when you talk about like um, Lonzo and and De'Aaron Fox but honestly I do think like taking away sometimes like sometimes we can't be too harsh about what we see in college because the college game is clunky and fucked up as it is um, De'Aaron Fo- I mean a lot part of me Dennis was playing with with two big men on the court at all times. And by two big men, I don't even mean like a. I mean literally, he was playing with two centers, so the floor was pretty. The floor was pretty like um, there wasn't much spacing on the floor for him, so he will definitely benefit from the additional spacing he'll get um, at the next level. But yeah, people people uh, admit that with with Markel and then use that against Dennis. So I do think um, just in terms of. Uh, his upside, Dennis is out of this uh, out of this world. Um, I do think I, I I think personally, Dennis might be the best athlete in this draft. Um, I can he, he he he's pretty crazy. Um, like just jumping wise and what he is able to do. Um, I know I, I I did mention earlier about like finishing through contact and finishing at the rim. Um, Dennis is also going to be he's he's shown that skill about that he's already elite in terms of, like, three-level scoring. And by three-level scoring, I mean um, scoring from the outside, mid-range, and scoring in the cup. Um, so he's also shown that ability to score at the cup, um, which is another translatable skill when it comes to uh, his just scoring ability. Um, obviously, the shot, um, a lot of it will depend on the shot. But when I do compare Dennis to a guy like uh, De'Aaron Fox, I trust his sh- – I think his shot is already way uh, further along than De'Aaron's is. And I trust his to be able to uh, get to say league average more than I would with De'Aaron. Um, obviously, um, Dennis—he's also shown he's a pesky defender, um, but I wouldn't call him a good defender by any uh, facet yet. The same thing with Fultz. These guys, a lot of times it is effort 
and um just waning um attention span on defense. Mm-hmm. Um but honestly that is something that these guys you hope <laughs> grow over time. Um another thing just to bring it back to the finals, um and just to do the two point guard comparison, um just comparing Steph and Kyrie, who neither are amazing defenders, but from your point guard, you don't like teams can you can you can hide a bad defender or a bad point guard on defense if you have um, enough good defenders on the rest of your team. Um, like, it's, it's way easier to hide a, a bad defender um, who's a point guard than a bad defender who's a big man. Um, this sure. is part of the reason why you can barely, you can barely even play. Like, uh, Jahil Okafor couldn't play in the finals right now or, or any big man. Like, Cantor couldn't – we see Cantor can't play in the, in the playoffs because he, he's just a fucking mismatch defensively and he can't guard anybody. So, like I did say, um, but, but just to go back to Kyrie and Steph, um, with Steph, he's just more active defensively. So it's like not to say Steph is a great one-on-one defender, but when it comes to just uh, fucking um, getting active in the ball lanes, um, not dying on switches and shit like that, you just want to see activity from your guards because yeah. that's really all you can ask for. Because for the most part, when you're going to, going up against the elite point guards in the league, they're probably gonna get cooked anyway. You're starting from a point of we're trying to we're trying to contain him. We're not trying to fucking take him out the game plan. Well, this is the thing. There's not when you think of point guards, you don't really think of any elite tier defenders at the point guard position. The only really good defender point guard wise is Pat Beverly, and then his offensive game is complete trash. Him and him and him and a guy him and probably like CP3 is a really good defender, but CP and and it's funny because like CP3 is the best perimeter defender on the Clippers. True. <laughs> And and Chris Paul is all of like six feet tall, so so yeah, that's just like that's just like um his physical limitations. Like Chris Paul is a really good defender, but he's also six feet tall. So it's like it's just a there's a, it's a limited impact that he could have in terms of like changing um uh and, and just like changing his and impacting the game defensively. And and for the most part, other than like Pat Beverly and and even like um there's guys like a fucking like even like we were just talking about Marcus Smart. Like, it's not really, like, you're not looking from, you're not, what you want is you want impact offensive, offensive guys. Not, mm-hmm. there, there's not, because there really isn't that many guys who are impact defenders on the point guard def- position. So, whenever we're, whenever we're crying about point guard defenders, this goes for, this goes for fucking Dame and, 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 uh, fucking Isaiah Thomas, Kemba, all these dudes. For the most part, the elite <laughs> point guards in the league are not difference makers, period, on defense. This is very true. Um, yeah, yeah. They're low-level defenders, but their court awareness of basketball IQ is enough to kind of get them in the right passing lanes to gain steals and, like you said, switch off on screens and pick and rolls to kind of stay on their man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, so Dennis, yeah, I just see... Um, I think Dennis does have the second um, second highest upside. Um, some teams are souring on him because of, of course, like you just say, how, how the season went at NC State. Um, and, and souring on him because of his, like, demeanor, on-court demeanor to say he's not maybe, like, the best teammate. Um, I'm not really privy to all of that information about how he is as a teammate and, like, how he's doing in, like, these interviews and shit. But um, just, like, in terms of what I see of what he could be, um, I, I just think his upside is out of this world. Um, third on my board, I'd probably say I have Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, um, I just think in terms of a uh, two two way wings, which is the most valuable commodity in the league, um, and like we're saying, we see the trend is going towards like there was parts in the finals, 
um, there's parts in the finals, and, and a lot of the times when I'm thinking about these young guys, I try and think of it through the scope and the prism of the actual NBA draft. Try to think about how they look in the court. So like, even when you look at somebody like Patrick McCall, who, um, I mean, Curry didn't really go to him in, in like the first four games, but he gave them really good minutes in uh, uh, in game five that really helped them um, hold it down and everything. So like even with that, I could definitely um, just want to see about how these guys will fit in um, for elite basketball. Um, so yeah, with Tatum, um, in terms of just how uh, his his uh, individual face-up game, he has an elite level face-up game, um, which is a skill that should translate. Um, his shot, really I think good, his shot, really good I think his shot, gonna, I think his shot is going to develop pretty fine um, going forward, and I do think he has enough upside defensively um, to where he could be competent. I don't know if he's going to be a plus defender or a shut, or, or lockdown defender, um, but I do think he can make up for it um, with what he's going to bring for you offensively. Um, so yeah, four, four, five, Lonzo. Um, I think we talked about Lonzo enough on the last time. True. Um, I, don't, I don't really, I really don't know what's, what more is there to say about him. Um, I think like, I think he fits perfectly with, uh, D'Angelo, um, offensively in, in the backcourt, in the backcourt. Um, defensively, um, Lonzo, I think he's going to, as he gets older and I do think, um, IQ wise, he's going to be good enough on that end where he'll be able to switch on to twos and another thing that may be able to unlock more of his defensive potential by how he possibly fills out um is if he can possibly uh switch on to some small forwards um down the line that would definitely help him out um in terms of like unlocking uh the defensive upside and and how good that lakers team possibly could be if they move forward with him and d'angelo um five i have jonathan isaac um defensively i think his upside defensively is ridiculous um i know we spoke about this earlier but just i have i have jonathan isaac five and and josh jackson sixth mm-hmm. um i do think they're pretty good prospects uh in their both and each in their own right um uh, but i do think um just defensively i'm more comfortable saying that i see um i see i see an easier path to isaac becoming a true impact defender um lengthwise um, and just how I think his body can fill out. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I, I'm probably lower on Josh Jackson than I am on – I mean, than, than basically everybody else. I, I, I don't really – I have him at six, so I think a lot of people don't. Like, they got, like I, I see a lot of people have Josh at two and three. Personally. I was quite – I'm quite high on him just for the defensive aspect alone. I think he can fill a lot of needs on a team for that specific aspect. Um the Kawhi comparisons are just, in a sense, because they've kind of got the same the same body type and the same athletic ability coming out of their respective schools. But the shot is a problem, and if but if he can develop that shot, then that just becomes another arsenal in his tool. But if not, he could probably be a very good free and D defender. But then again, it has to work on the shot for him to be a free and D defender. Yeah, man. Like he has a. Uh... He has a he has a long way to go defensively. Like the shot is very clanky, um, and I don't necessarily like um, believe in the shot per se. He shot uh, he shot thirty seven percent from three um, in the league uh, or, or 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 for Kansas this year. Um, I think it could possibly like it's the same way. Like Brandon Ingram shot forty percent from three last year, and then <laughs> yeah. he, 
like some of the that's why you got to take the college three point percentage stats with a grain of salt. Um, the sample size is smaller. Um, so like obviously over like an eight two game span, um, I wouldn't. I don't think he's gonna be that type of shooter. Um, so definitely like if he's shooting like low thirties in, into like twenties, um, I definitely think that affects his overall upside. And just like um, once again, like like I did say defensively, it's not so much because I can see his playmaking that he does have. Um, he's a pretty good defender. I mean, uh, not defender. He's a pretty good playmaker, and he's pretty good with the ball in his hands. Um, and I do see um, the intrigue in it. I'm not really sure um, about his ultimate upside as a initiator or creator. Mm-hmm. If it's as uh, as lethal as it will possibly be when he's going against guys who could match up with him um, athletically, I think that might just affect his uh, like his playmaking skills and, and possibly just like dim that a little bit. Um, but yeah, my thing is. My thing and why I'm just a little lower than him is I just don't see the ultimate defensive upside with him in terms of like what I what I think he could be. Um he show he he gets the reputation as a pretty good defender, but if we just like the more film I watch from him, he's pretty like he does and, and this is regular for any young player, anybody who's coming into the league and anybody who's like um within their first couple seasons or, or like fucking under 25, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he has a lot of like, he gets, he loses his defender a lot on defense, which is a really bad skill. Yeah. Cause like, um, sometimes like even like he's even like transition defense, uh, wise, sometimes he's not really good at like sticking with his guy, uh, in transition. And a lot of these things can't be taught. Um, but sometimes, the guys just never get there. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm just a little more like hesitant on his uh, defensive upside. But um, I do think he's a pretty good. Um, I, I do think even if the shot doesn't develop, he's going to be a really good defender. And it, we're looking at a worst case scenario of him being like a um, a souped up Tony Allen, which definitely has its value in the league. Definitely, I think that's where it makes sense for a Phoenix, where if you put him next to a Devin Booker, he can hire. His- a lot of the defensive struggles that Devin has. Same with Darren, in a way. Yeah, definitely, definitely with Darren. Yeah, especially if they want to move uh, Bledsoe and run Darren at the point. Um, but where, actually, out of interest, where do you have Darren on your board? Uh, I have, I have Darren and uh, Monk at seven and eight. Um, those two can honestly flip flop for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're pretty close. Um, once again, um, it's just it's just the skepticism about like the shot, and I do think we have enough of a. If we're just keeping keeping in mind the last couple of years, and like we did say, all these guards who've come into the league who've had uh, question marks on their shot, it hasn't necessarily translated right away. And point guard is pro- point guard is the hardest position in the league to play mm-hmm. and it does take the um it's the, it's the longest uh learning curve that it takes um to honestly get to like a uh just to get to being like even competent honestly so so it's not to it's not to say like a guy like Moutier can't um develop into a a, a a fine shooter in 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 enough time but um I do think I don't necessarily think that Dan's going to step in and be a good shooter right away. I do think for the next couple of years, um, everybody's just going to go under each screen for uh, for for De'Aaron, which is definitely going to hurt him. 
Um, and definitely the fit he's playing against definitely is going to matter. Because um, if he's playing with if, – if, if there's a couple guys who have suspect jump shots who are going to play on the floor with De'Aaron, it's going to hurt his game. Um, so there's definitely going to be – he's going to need um, shooting uh, around him just to take advantage of his quickness, which he definitely does have elite level quickness. Um, I know people throw around um, the John Wall comp with De'Aaron a lot. Yeah. Um, but I just think body-wise, they're completely different, man. Like, uh, De'Aaron, um, De'Aaron's at, um, I think he's, he's he has a, a, a 6'6 wingspan. Uh, and I think he's, I think he weighed in at like 160-something. So, and, and compare that to John Wall. Who came to the league? I think he was around like 190, 195 when he got drafted. So um, that's that's a pretty big difference in terms of like um, just the size. Because like athleticism wise, I can see why people make the comp, but um, just in terms of like I did say, like just in terms of just like finishing through contact, which is a big skill for for these point guards, um, he's gonna struggle with that, and I don't really. I, I'm not really sure about how that's gonna go, because um, he is—he has a really slender frame. He's kind of built like um, Dennis Schroeder. Um, Schroeder came into the league um, weighed, weighing around um, that same 160 uh, spot in around that range, and I think he's put on about like 10 to 10 to 15 pounds. So like, he's still around that same slender frame. So I'm not really sure if D'Angelo ever like he'll or D'Angelo ever like actually put on. Um, that much weight, um, but I I do think even even with everything else, um, just in terms of like his basketball IQ, um, and just his quickness, um, once again I do see a uh, I see I see even if it doesn't work out for him, I do see there's definitely a role for him, um, even as a starter if he could just get to competent, um, and once again if you believe in the shot, sky's living on his guys, yeah. I, I do get, I do kind of understand where the John Walker person comes from um, in terms of their speed when they've got the ball in their hands and possibly in transition. Um, but apart from that, I completely agree with everything you said. I think you'd be a very good fit on the Kings. Because if you've got a good shooter and Buddy Hill next to him, that takes a lot of that responsibility away from him. Um, in a sense. Uh, <laughs> the one question I do have, which is probably one of the last questions I've got, Looking through the when I was watching the um, the Bucks Raptors series, which seems like it was seven years ago now, the way that um, they placed Thon Maker into the starting lineup and activated him like he was the Winter Soldier from the Avengers was just kind of kind of insane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, the guy did nothing all season. Came in and averaged like what three blocks a game. I mean, for a guy that was supposed to probably play in the D-League for the majority of the season to come in and make that impact is slightly insane. In terms of the sleeper picks for this draft, or guys that might go a little bit higher than they're projected to go, but still have that kind of bigger impact down the line um, in terms of their development, who do you see those guys as? Uh, probably one of my favorite sleepers um, towards the end of the draft. Definitely um, a guy like Jawan Evans. 
um, from Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Um, I think just in terms of like a lead guard who can shoot, um, he has a really good uh, like basketball IQ and all that stuff. So I do think, um, I shit, I think honestly, I think he could have been a lottery pick in last year's draft. So, um, in, so the possibility of getting him, yeah, the possibility of getting him in um, the second round uh, is ridiculous to me. Um, uh, also, somebody like a uh, Jordan Bell, um, I think that's somebody who could come into the league from day one and make a defensive impact, which yeah. uh, I don't think you could say for um, too many guys. Um, but I do think he can make a defensive impact from day one, just in his terms of uh, switching defensively um, and and just the rim protection he can bring. Um, also, um, I do like um, Semi Ojale uh, from a- a- SMU. We're in the same boat. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, I do like Semi Ojale just in terms of like can never get uh, you can never get uh, enough wings, of course. Um, so just in terms of guys who can. Um, even if you could fake being a three and D, and um, just be have the wingspan and and the activity defensively um, to make an impact, that type of stuff is uh, super uh, super valuable. And um, I think a couple guys like that might drop in the draft, and some good impact uh, could be had from there. Uh, even guys like um, uh, OG and uh, OG and um, could be a crazy like he could he could uh, turn into a, a, a impact defender defensively. Um, and, and like a, he could, him and him and uh, Bam Bam from uh, Kentucky Bam uh, Adebayo, I'm not butchering his name, but yeah, those guys. There's a couple, so that's why I do see the thing about this draft is, um, like if you if you put the over under for future all stars in this draft to me at three and a half, I'm probably taking the under. Mm-hmm. But in terms of just like guys that I think can contribute. And and there's a role for them, and they can like pave out a career as an NBA starter, which which is a lot. Which is what you in a draft that's really fucking valuable because, like I said, in each draft, like um, like yeah, in each draft, there's gonna be stars, and then sometimes you just want to find rotation players. So I do think there's a bunch of rotation players, um, who definitely are gonna be able to help you, um, in due time on the next level. Without a doubt, this is one of those drafts where you say. Is kind of a San Antonio Spurs wet dream, whereas there's a lot of guys <laughs> that, that you can see on their roster and would make ridiculous contributions in like three to four year time. Because um, one of the guys for me is Caleb Swanigan uh, yeah. from Purdue. You know, can shoot the ball ridiculously well, and if you're having him come off the bench in today's NBA, you know, with his, you might get him in the say You he's probably going to say second round, honestly, my guy. Exactly. I mean, six nine, two fifty. Um, can guard the four and the five. Can stroke it from three. Got a good mid range shot. There's always a place for that in this league. Um, you know, Dwayne Bacon from Florida State could develop into a good three, yeah. three and D player. Um, I, can't, I can't remember the guy from Clemson's name now. But um, another guy I do like, like in terms of like Harry Giles, who probably has like a top five upside in his draft. Yeah. Um, but even even dudes like uh, uh, Jared Allen, who I could definitely see um, potentially filling the role as a backup big for somebody for a couple of years before he uh, goes into the actual um, possibly being somebody's starter. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, man, there's a lot of it's a lot of role player potential in this draft, um, and especially um, I, I think shit could get a little wacky on draft night when it comes to like teams trading up and uh, all that shit. 
There's going to be a lot of um, cash consideration trades in the second round. I feel. Yeah, like even even teams like um, Portland, who I know is like fucking trying to <laughs> unload all those bad contracts they gave out last year. So yeah, it's going to, it's going to be a little interesting <laughs> in the draft, I'd say. Yeah, we'll give you our twentieth pick and um, Alan Crabbe's a hundred million contract. Yeah, <laughs> that's still insane to me because I don't know why he's always good on two K, but in real life, kind of trash. But still managed to finesse a hundred million dollar contract. So fair play, not going to complain. Um, now I think we've, I think we've covered everything today, haven't we? Pretty much. Um. Yeah, nice. No, it's been a good pod. Uh, actually, my only question: the biggest what if of the playoffs? So mine is pretty much: what if Kawhi never gets injured? <laughs> I don't. I don't really even think that was that big of a what if. <laughs> um, like, well, yeah. First of all. We can't overreact. And, and some people, that was like another thing that people just like ended up bitching about. And it's like, that was that was one half. And before Kawhi got hurt, the comeback was already on its way. Mm-hmm. So we can't really like make any stern assumptions from, from that uh, from that half of basketball. But I do think like the Warriors, I think it was inevitable. And even if they did sneak that game, the Warriors could have just blown out four in a row after that. And we would have all looked dumb asking those questions. I don't. I I really don't have a huge question mark. Um, I think I think um, Warriors in five, which is basically what it ended up being, was pretty inevitable. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't really think much changed uh, from that perspective. Um, possibly you could say like if Houston could have picked up somebody like a Paul Millsap, you could say that they could have had a chance, but still probably not. Um, but yeah, man, I don't. I think I think I think the playoffs um, basically played out the way I did, and for everybody complaining about the playoffs and about how they weren't as exciting, um, for me personally, uh, maybe for like more casual guys, that's what they want. But for me personally, covering the NBA on a day-to-day basis is just the most fun out of any league. Um, the storylines that come out of it, the wackiness mm-hmm. uh, from the draft night. Um, I think the NFL could take a book or take a page out of the NBA's book. And um, fucking move up the draft and not have it fucking three months after. I love the fact that we just had the fucking the finals ended what last Thursday, was it? Um, yeah, last Thursday. Thursday. Um, the, yeah, the final ended Thursday, and the, the draft was a week after. And we've um, got the uh, NBA award show coming up. The award show, um, summer leagues interview like a week after. Um, but yeah, man, like it's just the it's just like the most entertaining league. Um, the personalities are the most entertaining in the NBA. So, like, shit like that is what makes the NBA the best to me or my favorite to, to fucking follow. So, it's like, I don't really, like, even the playoffs, like, even the playoffs usually go through, like, peaks and valleys in terms of, like, the playoffs we get. Like, it, this this isn't the first lackluster playoff or the first lackluster postseason we've gotten in the NBA. But, like I did say, people just like to bitch about shit. So, yeah. Nah, that's true, man. That is completely true. The one thing I will say is that when I was watching the... Cavs Celtics series. Celtics missed a lot of makeable shots that you knew going into the next year, going to the finals that the Warriors wouldn't miss. So, like, like you said, the Warriors in five kind of summation 
was always on the cards because there's no way that Durant, Steph, Clay were going to miss those shots. They're on the table to them. And that, yeah, man. And I, I, I don't know, man. Like it, it's just funny to me because there's a certain, there's a couple. Just to go back to like the finals and everything, but there's just a couple, uh, like philosophies that people have about basketball. Like you have your people who it's like, it's just about getting buckets. Like if you're on the court, you have to get buckets. If you can't get buckets, you're worthless. And then there's also the other thing about like that. I just don't think people appreciate in terms of like how effortlessly and seamless the transition was that it's like people don't, we don't like, uh, we will kill. We kill mellow for being selfish but we don't credit the Warriors for being unselfish. So it's like even even me, like I'll I'll fucking like I, I I've I've always killed Kobe for like his selfishness and and his like tunnel vision on offense. Like, but but that's me. But but just in terms of like fucking, just like giving credence because it's like the Warriors. I think if that's the thing about the super teams, like the Warriors were just so good, and the way they played was like the way they played was the was the reason why they could incorporate kd so seamlessly there's a bunch of other superstars who maybe because of their like personality maybe because of their philosophy and their mentality a super team isn't even in the books for them because they can't play with another person like that because they, like, they just have like a selfish like fucking <laughs> somebody i mentioned was like earlier nigga was in my, he was like fucking um about how uh i said i said it was funny how people applauded Russ for um, signing the one-year extension with OKC and talking about how loyal we are, how loyal he was when he's probably going to end up leaving anyway next summer. Mm-hmm. So people were like, "Oh, it's not that. It's that fucking Russ isn't about to go sign with Golden State." I'm like, first of all, Russ on Golden State wouldn't work. One, two, they didn't want Russ. <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, yeah, man. I just think, like basketball-wise, the Warriors they play unselfish brand of basketball, which I really don't even think gets credited for like all the shit that your middle school and your aau coaches told you about how you're supposed to be unselfish move the ball along if you just make the right pass it's going to find the right person like you did say the san antonio spurs type of philosophy that steve kerr brought that shit works for a reason and it's a part of the reason why that team is so fucking unstoppable because if they were still playing the way they did under mark jackson it would have been a lot of more isos steph would be running more isolations play mm-hmm. would be running like, fucking, this is one thing, and it's like, under Mark Jackson, they would just run a fucking million post-ups for Clay and Harrison Barnes. You, post-ups you barely see for Clay anymore. Like, I don't even, yeah, they barely even run post-ups for Clay. A guy like Clay does not belong in the post whatsoever. Especially when, you sh- when, when, when your shot is like butter, there's no point putting a guy like yeah. that in the post. Same thing Kevin Love, like, Kevin Love, to me, good three-point shooter, but just belongs in the post. Yeah, man, I mean, um, he, he but he, if he's the number one option, of course he can get in the post. And especially the thing with Kevin Love is, even when he's not shooting, and, and, and this is why, like, I do think, I know we did touch upon this earlier, but, like, I wouldn't just trade him away if, the, uh, if, if it's not a fucking, like, Paul George or if, the, or if, like, the return isn't as good. Because even if Kevin Love isn't hitting his threes, they still have to guard him at the three-point line. So just, like, gravity-wise, and, and, like, the fact that even if he's standing by the three-point line, fucking, that's mad valuable 
to have that fucking elite level shooting there regardless. Exactly. Um, and if anyone's going to get dealt, it's Tristan for a start. Um, God, I, I, I don't think I've ever seen someone play as bad in the finals as he did. Uh, that curse is real. I mean, say what you want. I mean, that curse is kind of real. Definitely was. One of my favorite NBA players of all time is now smoking rocks and fucking midgets because of that curse. So, <laughs> can we take a hey man Khloe Kardashian gonna be fucking Paul George next season so <laughs> everything comes full circle PG-13 welcome home <laughs> yo shout out to shout out to KD being on Twitter again yo this is one of my favorite developments of the offseason y'all here y'all here sending out jabs on Twitter the way that the way that KD had a tweet for every single um, event that was going on in that finals like six years in advance and then it was just flaming people on Twitter also, shout out to Melo for having one of the greatest responses of all time when he said that guy looked like a glazed donut. <laughs> that is one of the greatest tweets ever, man. Yeah. <laughs> nah, one of the funniest shit, <laughs> nigga. Uh, last, last uh, during the Olympics, when when Melo called Boogie a Della Harrington face, I cried, man. I cried. <laughs> that was one of the. Oh man, Mellow Hall of Fame is just off the strength of that. You know, you got someone else. You got you got another bitch pregnant, and his wife is still there. And um, he got cat stacks deported. I think yeah. He said he said those shooters. Um, <laughs> I got shooters. I got shooters. Oh man, there's definitely a pod there to discuss the longevity <laughs> of Mellow's street cred. <laughs> legend, legend in two games, man. Legend in two games. Oh, seriously, yeah. it is, but I mean, oh my days. But no, this seems like a good place to wrap it up. Uh, thank you again for for coming on. Uh, no doubt we'll have another podcast coming after the draft. Just doing that, just to flame people for their poor choices. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When <laughs> when when Danny Ainge trades back again, <laughs> like like Bill Belichick, <laughs> we're gonna dedicate a whole podcast to flaming him. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I wonder if the Celtics have Bill Belichick or the retainer or some former consultant, and then they're saying, well, you know, "Bill, what, what do you think we should do in the draft? We should trade Isaiah, and uh, you know." I, I trust I trust Belichick before I trust Danny Age. Oh man. Okay, cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks for guys for listening. If you made this all the way through, uh, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes on the podcast app on the iPhone. Uh, it's the Cross Answer Project, but that will probably change to the projects soon after. Um, but yeah. Give us whatever feedback you want and we'll catch you next time. Peace.